Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about role-playing games, tabletop war games, and board games. I'm your host, Troy, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host. My name's Ed, my pronouns are they and them. You stole my, uh, as always intro. Yes, well, I, I was going to say we're talking about people who steal a lot of things, but we're not. We're not talking about rogues yet. Today, we're talking about monks, the Dungeons and Dragons class. I have opinions. And today, everyone will be kung fu fighting. It will be at least somewhat frightening. Yeah, I've seen some frightening monk players. So, before we get into that, we have a segment we call The Weekend Hobby, where we talk about what we've done in the last week. This one's going to be a slightly unusual because we're recording only a couple of days after our previous episode just to try and get more things on the books and change it up. So the last week for us has been three days. I have done very little actual hobby stuff, although I have done quite a bit of preparation, put together some stuff for my next two D&D games in Eberron, and have also started prepping for a game of The Sprawl, which is a cyberpunk RPG using the Powered by the Apocalypse system. I'm uh, going to try and get that started in the next week or two. Ed, what have you done? All I've managed to do is read comic books, since I'm just kind of hyper-focused on anything Marvel-related at the moment. So... Hopefully that'll eventually translate into getting more Crisis Protocol stuff done, but I've been a terrible nerd. I really haven't done much of anything. I don't think you can be a terrible nerd while also reading comic books. I would say that you have researched costumes and art styles for your Marvel Crisis Protocol miniatures. I'm going to paint all of my Crisis Protocol like it looks like a Silver Age issue number one comic book. That would be fantastic. You should do that. Just going to get the paint on there, and that's it. Well, you also have to do the, like, halftones for stuff. If I could manage to do a halftone texture on a miniature, oh, that would be so badass. I got shivers just thinking about that. Oh, that would look fantastic on the Dormammu sculpt. Yes. I'm. If I can do camouflage on 6mm Desert Storm American troops, there's probably a way that I could do a halftone texture on a miniature, it would be really time-consuming, and it would probably take a lot of trial and error, but I'm pretty sure I could pull it off. I would just need... I'd need to get, like, some bones or something that's kind of a disposable painting surface and do some experiments before I actually tried it on a uh, full-size dude. Well, you should, because I think halftones on Doimamu would be an amazing centerpiece for any Marvel Crisis Protocol thing. Yeah, I was trying to think if there was, like, any any ways that I could incorporate, like, Kirby Crackle or anything into the bases. I don't know if that's going to work, but uh, I also have a plan for doing a large Doctor Strange-themed mat that'll have, like, Kirby Crackle and hopefully some fluorescent black light effects that I'm doing some painting experiments with, and they aren't turning out super great, but I'm sure there's a way to do it. I just need to put the time and energy into figuring it out. Yeah, if you're doing it for a matte, you might even consider, like, fluorescent spray paints. Yeah, I've considered that. I need to I need to make, like, some uh, stencils for the spray paints. I've also considered maybe doing it with an airbrush, but I think the 
spray paint would probably be fa be faster. So that's been our weekend hobby. Tell us what yours was in the comments. Don't leave us weird links to MLM sites. We delete those. What if we started our own mini gaming or just gaming MLM? Oh, wait, I'm describing like Magic the Gathering, aren't I? I don't know that Magic the Gathering is an MLM. It's more like drug deals. It's that good cardboard crack. I don't know where I was going with that joke. I was I was trying to think of something witty, but it's been a long day in the electron mines and my brain just can't come up with good jokes. We're not talking about Magic the Gathering, though. Or MLMs. We did that all the, all last week. Instead, we're talking about the monk in Dungeons and Dragons. So where do monks come from? Monasteries. Well, aside from monasteries, where do monks come from? And don't say, like, kung fu schools or something. I'm assuming you're going to tell us. So the concept of martial arts or a formalized system of unarmed combat is at least as old as writing itself. Humans have been fighting each other for a long time, and about the time we started building civilizations, we started trying to get organized. And since not everybody had a sword all the time, or a bow, or an axe, or whatever, they sort of tried to figure out how to fight people without those things. Which led to, basically, the earliest martial arts were just wrestling. Our podcast favorite, The Epic of Gilgamesh, even talks about wrestling. Woo! It goes all the way back. Good old wrestling. Boxing is shown in Sumerian art from around the year 3000 BCE. I tried boxing for a while, could never take a punch to the face. Just, it's something you don't get used to. Yeah, they say everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I just don't have a plan to begin with, so I have never tried the sweet science. Asian martial arts, which is really kind of what the monk is inspired by, because, as we said, kung fu. Date back to around the 400s BCE, during the Warring States period of China. And then the rise of Buddhism and the spread of that from India through China and up into uh, Japan and the other Eastern East Asian countries kind of spreads that around timelines are a little vague from what i saw but by the you know 500 600 common era it was all over the place monks as a DD class were specifically inspired by martial arts novels uh there was a series that sounds really bad of martial arts novels that were written in the 60s and 70s that one of the early DD players enjoyed and so he came up with the idea for a martial arts based hero do we have the name of that series the destroyer that's a really lame name they sound real bad yeah the main character was a spy who was taught martial arts by a chinese guy i think chinese might have been japanese i i have never read them i don't intend to a spy who got taught martial arts and then proceeded to go kill people with his bare hands. Sounds like a movie from the 80s. Yeah, no, there it was the kind of thing that would become a movie in the 80s. And there were dozens of these things. This was not a short series, but they all seemed like they were real cheap paperback fiction. That being said, 
this kind of inspired the, one of the early D&D players to create an unarmed fighting character that would have various martial arts abilities. And as D&D went on, martial arts films became more and more popular, and these things got folded into Dungeons & Dragons because nerds like many things. Some of these martial arts movies even inspired specific subclasses, uh, perhaps the most obvious being The Legend of the Drunken Master, starring Jackie Chan, which created the Drunken Master style or drunken boxing, which is shown up in a couple of different editions. But back in the original Dungeons & Dragons, monks first showed up as a, in a published thing in 1975 as part of the Blackmore Supplement. They were a subclass of cleric that contained aspects of the thief and fighting man as well, a variety of abilities including a chance to stun opponents when fighting unarmed, and an, an increase to unarmed damage, and the Quivering Palm ability, which we'll talk about what that looks like in 5th edition. It's been around from the beginning. In 1st edition, monks were a core class, but were placed last in the character class section rather than being alphabetical, um, with a note saying that they were powerful, but also that they had unusually high requirements. At the time, you would roll stats and then pick a character class, and ca certain character classes would have requirements on what your stats were. I forgot about that. Monks required at least a 15 in strength, dex, and wisdom, and an 11 in constitution. Many of these classes also had certain alignment restrictions. Paladins, for a long time, were only allowed to be lawful good. Barbarians, in at least 3rd edition, were required to be chaotic. Monks, from 1st edition through 3rd, were required to be lawful. Didn't have to be lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil, just lawful. So, first edition monks were powerful. But they were also very much similar to the pre-first edition monk in that they were just unarmed fighting kind of dudes with some special abilities. In second edition, the monks didn't show up in the player's handbook. Reasons haven't really ever been stated specifically. But there has been some speculation that the designers sort of felt that monks did not fit the classic European medieval fantasy setting that D&D &D was looking for at the time and was trying to like fit in when they first came out with 2nd edition. Several monk subclasses were eventually introduced in later years. All of them were built kind of for the priest or the cleric and usually included some amount of divine spellcasting. You would take levels in Priest or levels in Cleric, and then when you hit whatever, you get Monk abilities to punch people. In 3rd edition and 3.5, Monks were back and in a big way. They were a core class in the player's handbook, and they had a huge list of abilities and options. Improved unarmed damage, increased in speed and better defense when you're not wearing armor, the Flurry of Blows ability that allows you to make extra attacks on top of your normal ones, uh, typically requiring you to only use unarmed strikes or monk weapons, which the book specified and were things like nunchucks and quarter staves and darts. They also have key strikes where they use internal energy to do magical damage or to do certain special effects with their punches. 
the slow fall ability, which prevents them from taking falling damage because they're doing that, like, flying on wires thing. And a whole bunch of other neat powers. They have... They got something at basically every level in 3rd edition. Monks were kind of crazy. There were also several prestige classes focusing just on monks, including, as I mentioned before, the Drunken Master, the Kensai, and the Enlightened Fist. And then there were a whole bunch of other ones that were all specific martial arts styles. 4th edition reversed this. Monks didn't show up in 4th edition until the Player's Handbook 3. Even Barbarians were in the 2nd. And in 4th edition, Monks were also Psionic. Their key abilities was basically just labeled as a mental power and therefore Psionic. And it was super weird. In 5th edition... Monks were right back to being like they were in 3.5, but more rounded. As their core class, they get bonuses to defense when not wearing armor, they get improved speed, they get better unarmed damage and martial arts. They also have plenty of abilities powered by key. Instead of having just key doing things, you get key points that you spend on various things you can do, including Flurry of Blows, the ability to perform certain bonus actions like Disengage or Dodge or Dash. Uh, they can also deflect or catch arrows or missiles fired at them, and have a lot of the other high-level abilities that they did in 3rd edition. And like all 5th edition ca character classes, they have subclasses to make them interesting and unique and give characters things to do. These are called monastic traditions. There are a whole bunch of them. Like normal, we're just going to talk about the Player's Handbook, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything ones. We do not have the other books. We do not intend to get the other books. Is that the Sword Coast? And then I don't know where any other monk stuff would show up. Uh, Sword Coast would be... I think there were a couple in Sword Coast that got reprinted into Tasha's. And I think there might have been one in, like, one of the magic setting books. Yeah, I don't know. Suffice to say, we don't have all the setting books, and we aren't super interested in buying all the setting books. So we're just going to talk about the ones from the main core books that you're likely to see in play. And these start with the classic Punching Monk. Well, the classic martial arts monk, the way of the open hand. You get better stuff with Flurry of Blows. You can meditate during long rests to get the effect of the Sanctuary spell. And at high levels, you get the Quivering Palm. The Quivering Palm is a monk classic. You hit someone, you expend some amount of power. In this case, it's key points. In previous editions, it was that you could only do it once a week or... You had to do certain things to make trigger it. But you hit someone, and you set up a series of vibrations inside them, and when you choose to end those vibrations, they get knocked down to zero hit points, or they pass a constitution save and take some ludicrous amount of damage. Sounds kinky. Yes. Also, the quivering palm, like the vibrations that they take inside of them, lasts for a number of days equal to your monk level. And you get to choose when to end it. I suspect, based on 
stuff that this was something that came from that book series. Probably. It's the sort of weirdness you would get in a 1970s spy martial arts book series that kept going forever. The next one is The Way of Shadow. Because, come, let me show you my secret ninja training camp. Ninjas! Way of Shadow is straight up ninjas. Uh, you get various shadow abilities, uh, like using key points to cast uh, specific spells. Darkness, dark vision, pass without trace, silence. You also, at higher levels, can teleport through shadows and become invisible while hiding in shadows. And at the top of it, you get a special opportunist attacks. When a nearby enemy gets hit by an ally, you get to like jump in and stab them as well, or punch them as well, because you're a monk and you may or may not be using swords. And then the last one from the core book is the Way of the Four Elements. The best way to describe this is it's Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm, I'm not even joking. If you like Avatar The Last Airbender, this is your monk subclass. You can use key points to cast various elemental spells. You get certain elemental disciplines that do specific effects, like a water whip or a fire strike. It's cool and super thematic, and one of my favorite subclass concepts, but it's not very good. And that's because it uses key as its resource, and key is also used to power all of your normal monk abilities. So you can't do as many of the things as most other classes. And also, you get spells much later than a wizard or sorcerer would get the same spells, so they're not as powerful as they would be coming from a dedicated caster. You're kind of a weak caster who doesn't have the power to use all your abilities all the time. But still, you can punch people and then summon a ball of fire to hit them in the face. Sounds fun. Yes, it's the only class you'll ever need if you want to regain your honor. Then we get into Xanathars, which introduces some classics, starting with the Drunken Master. The Drunken Master's abilities are basically everything Jackie Chan could do in the Legend of the Drunken Master film. It's good shit. Yeah, it, it's good shit. Uh, your Flurry of Blows allows you to disengage because you punch people and fall over. It increases your walking speed as well because you're kind of staggering around. You can stand up from prone using only five feet of movement instead of half of your movement. Uh, you can spend key points to redirect attacks that miss you into other people next to you. And at higher levels, you can spend key points to just be lucky. You cancel a disadvantage on it, something that you're doing. Eventually, at 17th level, you can unleash a literal barrage of attacks with Flurry of Blows. As long as they're each aimed at a different target, you can strike up to five times. All the punches. You just punch everyone around you. It's lovely. And then the other classic, the Way of the Kensai. The Kensai style is monks that specialize in weapons. People who, like, focus super much on, a, on one or two types of weapons. Uh, Kensai can parry. They get better shooting abilities with longbows. 
when you're using the specific type of weapons that you have specialized in, they are always considered magical for the point purposes of dealing damage. And you can spend key points to do extra damage the same as your unarmed strikes would normally do. Eventually, you get the ability to just re-roll a missed attack once per turn. Because you're just that good with whatever you use. And also in Xanthas, we get the Way of the Sun Soul. Which is the Hadouken Monk. <laughs> it allows you to hurl bolts of magical radiance. You basically just shoot a bolt of fist. Because the bolt does the same as your unarmed attack. I like bolt of fist. I, it's a bolt of glowing fist, okay? At higher levels, you can cast Burning Hands, plus a key-powered fireball-esque thing, where you fire a bolt of radiance at people, and depending on how many key points you put into it, that reflects how much damage it does. Again, you just shout Harugan and shoot energy at people. You also have to say that your power level is over 9,000 every time you do it. I'm pretty sure that's a different thing. Because that's Dragon Ball. That's Spirit Bombs. That's very different. Dang old Spirit Bomb. Yeah, that's a Spirit Bomb. I haven't actually watched any of the Dragon Ball series, so I don't know how I know that. Cultural osmosis. I guess. Probably the same reason I know that the Hadouken and the... It, it's Ryu and Ken... From Street Fighter that do that? Yep. Again, I, I'm i not a fighting game person. I have not played these games. I've never seen Dragon Ball Z or any of the TV shows, but I am in the middle of reading the original Dragon Ball uh, manga series. It's very weird. I'm sure it is. The, the last thing you get from that class is at the final you know, tip-top ability, you can surround yourself in a halo of magical light that does damage to people who hit you in melee. Nice. You're like, I, you, you become the burning unconquered sun. Which is another reference, but not to an anime. Uh, is that Soul Invictus? No, uh, the, the unconquered sun is uh, exalted. Oh. Well, that would explain why I missed that, because I've never played that one. We'll have to talk about exalted at some point when we're doing other RPGs, once we've gotten past the Dungeons and Dragons. And now we're moving on to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Which has, you know, two more interesting monk subclasses. The first one is... I thought it had everything. It, it does have everything. It only has two monk subclasses, though, because everything is smaller than you think. It's a cauldron of holding. Everything also costs more and takes longer. The monk classes are the Way of Mercy. Because Plague Doctor masks are in this year. Nice. Uh, they get a special ability about, like, getting a mask, and they get proficiency in insight and medicine checks. And their big thing is that they can use their key points to heal people. It's kind of similar to the Paladin's Lay on Hands, except they roll their unarmed attack dice when they heal someone. So they punch you to make you feel better. <laughs> I prescribe five fingers. Yeah, they have the hand of healing and the hand of harm where they punch you and they do necrotic damage. And those two things, the Hand of Healing and the Hand of Harm, are basically what they do. They get the basic one-two. I put the harm in pharmacy. Pharmacy. They get the basic one-two with that. And then at higher levels, doing that can like either cure diseases or inflict poison onto people. And at, again, further on, you get it with Flurry of Blows. 
So you, like, punch a person five times and they're like, oh my god, I feel so much better. If we could just go around and punch people to cure them of coronavirus, it would make life so much simpler. That's the way of Mercy Monk. They, they punch you to make you feel better. Up to and including 17th level, when they can resurrect someone who died in the last 24 hours, presumably by punching the afterlife until they come back. <laughs> I'm just going to start punching their heart until it starts beating again. I guess. it. I, I don't know. Extreme CPR. Kung Fu CPR, yes. I like the concept of them, and I find their abilities hilarious. And there's actually someone playing a Way of Mercy monk in one of my games right now, so I'll have to keep an eye on him to make sure he doesn't start punching people so hard they come back to life. In general, I'm not, like, a monk super fan, but I do like that concept. I might have to do that in the future. He's nowhere near 17th level, so I doubt it's going to become an issue. And the last one is the Way of the Astral Self. It's a monk that taps into the whole astral form thing and gets ghost arms. Ghost arms! That, that, that's the real key, is ghost arms. It summons astral form, elements of its astral form, which start as ghost arms. And then as you get more levels, you get more utility out of it, like summoning a ghostly like helmet or face covering thing. That allows you to do certain utility powers. At 11th level, you can use your ghost arms to, like, deflect energy blasts the way people could deflect arrows. So, you know, oh, there's a fireball coming at me. Whap. Slap the fireball right out of the air. Basically, yeah. And you also do more damage with your punching ghost arms. At 17th level, it improves your armor class and also adds to your attacks. So you can just... And when I say adds to your attacks, I mean it adds an extra attack on top of the extra nice. attack that monks already get. So you can do three flurries of blows in a single round. And just keep... You're, you're just... It's all arms. Just all arms. And that's it. Those are the monk subclasses. From the basics of Way of the Open Hand to Ninjas and Way of Shadow... Element bending with the four elements. Drinking heavily as the drunken master. Using weapons real good with the Kensai. Shooting bolts of fist as the sun soul. Um, healing people by punching them as the way of mercy. Or just punching people with ghost arms as the astral self monk. They get a lot of different choices. And it makes monks real versatile. Monk. I need a monk. It's also... Kind of notable, I should say, that your monk doesn't have to be kung fu themed. You can just as easily make like a tavern brawler or a boxer or someone who wrestles real good or even like a European style like friar who's just good with a quarter staff. If you want to do a Robin Hood inspired monk. That kind of leads me into my issue with the monk as a class as it currently is well before before we do that we have one last thing to do with our questions about what the what kind of monk we just we've talked about modron monk the modron monk 
How would you build a Modron monk? Which one of these subclasses would you use if you were making a Modron monk? I kind of like the idea of an astral self Modron, which is a whole bunch of spindly mechanical arms. That was my thought as well. I was thinking, though, that since a Modron is a cube, you could have arms coming off of each face of the cube. I like that. That's a good one. Just arms pointing in every bizarre direction. Arms everywhere. Yeah, I, I think the Modron arm cube is the mode is the winner of this. Although even uh, a classic open palm Modron monk would also be pretty funny. Someday we'll need to run a D&D game that's just nothing but Modrons and the various weird ideas we've come up for them. I would be okay with that. Um, I did once run an all-monk one-shot game in 3.5. Players were all monks who had been summoned back to their monastery by the master who informed them that an important statue had been stolen and they had to go retrieve it to save the temple or whatever. Hmm. Uh, they tracked the culprits down to a ruin over a river of lava and had a sweet kung fu fight. <laughs> one player tried to jump over the lava crevasse and rolled a one. Whoopsie daisy. And then failed multiple reflex saves, uh, dex saves for those who have only played 5th edition, on their way down, falling into the crevasse, and yeah, ended up pulling a golem and just getting swallowed by the lava. Although I probably shouldn't laugh because I also uh, failed hard and fell into a pit of lava once. Yeah. Gotta watch out for that lava. It's hot lava. The floor is now lava. Lava hot. Yes, lava indeed hot. So you were saying you had an issue with the monk. Yes. Are you ready for my hot and spicy take? I'm ready for some lava hot takes. I don't like the monk class because I find the conception of the monk as it currently stands in D&D to be incredibly orientalist and oof, problematic. Go on. It seems like it's it's basically just running on stereotypes of what white people think Shaolin monks are without actually know anything knowing anything about Shaolin or martial arts in Buddhist traditions and it just feels very heavy handed in that kind of Eastern mysticism. And I just, I, I don't like it. I also feel like it discounts the variety that there is in martial arts. Like you were mentioning, you know, that you don't necessarily have to do like a Jackie Chan Kung Fu monk. You could do other, other types of martial artists but the way that everything is flavored and the way everything works mechanically, it's so tied to that Eastern mysticism aspect of it that I don't feel like it would work quite the same as if they just rebranded the monk class to martial artist or what other, you know, noun they want to use for somebody who's primarily an unarmed fighter just because of how much variety there could be. And, you know, you could have, that kind of Shaolin monk be a type of character class that would be viable. But what mechanically could you do differently for somebody who say is a Sambo expert? Sambo is an absolutely ridiculous martial art. And I feel like there's, you know, stuff that you could do there. 
and, you know, draw upon other influences as well, not just the problematic Eastern mysticism. I guess my thoughts aren't quite as well thought out as I had originally planned, but if they could, if they could generalize it more and it's just make it feel less like white people cosplaying as a Eastern fantasy thing. Yeah. I think I think that has some value. I think the first thing you could do is simply change the name of key points. Yep. Because that refers to a specific thing within the tradition and mythology of Eastern martial arts. Yep. And even just doing something as simple as focus can be something that would work well. Yeah, calling it focus points or something. Because if you change that and make that a more generalist and less cultural, culturally specific term, I think that makes it more open for what the monk can be. Like you said, there are a huge number of martial arts, and the book does not specify, like, in any mechanical sense, what your martial arts are. You get to decide that by yourself, which is how you can make a boxing martial artist or a, pun- or a grappler or, or whatever you want. But the key points and a couple of other of the main monk features do draw heavily from Eastern traditions of martial arts and combat and mysticism. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's done both armed and unarmed martial arts in the past, I can tell that there is a there is a difference to how you fight armed with a sword or another weapon as opposed to how you fight when it's just your hands and your feet. I feel like there's a lot more like body focus and body awareness that you have to have when you're fighting unarmed. So one issue I kept running up against is, well, if you were to take kind of the problematic mysticism out of the monk class, how would you differentiate that from a fighter, you know, that just specializes in unarmed combat. But if you were to change the key to something like focus and have it be more kind of a generalized, like body awareness that you're using as your mechanic, rather than some kind of mysticism, it can still work and you can have a, a brawling character who is, you know, different from a fighter who would be somebody who just, you know, is punching in an unarmed manner. You're, you have that training and that focus that another fighter might not have. I think you also might be able to sort of change it by just having a subclass of monk and calling it like the brawler, where your key is called focus instead and your abilities are entirely non-mystical. With the, the changes that they've been making to D&D and just kind of fantasy in general to make sure that we're culling things that are, that could be considered insensitive, offensive, or otherwise problematic. For me, the monk, it's just kind of this big red flag of like, you know, we've changed a lot of other stuff. Why has this not been rethought out as part of that process? Maybe it will whenever... 5.5 5.5 or 6 edition comes out, maybe they'll make some kind of changes, you know, based on the recommendations of a cultural advisor at Wizards, assuming they have any. But for me, it just, it seems really weird. And I feel, I would feel weird playing as that class just because it has so much of that cultural baggage attached to it. But 
that's just me. I don't think I would feel weird about it. I also, you know, did some martial arts when I was younger, and I think martial arts are, again, like fantasy stuff for everybody. So it feels weird to say, oh, no, you shouldn't be able to play a monk unless you have this cultural background because it you shouldn't. You don't have to be Japanese to know to learn uh, Aikido or Judo or whatever. Well, it's not even necessarily that. It's just like how do we how do we prevent you know not necessarily positive stereotypes or just stereotypes in general, whether or not it's positive or negative, from just spreading around in the space. But that's that's just kind of my own my own soapbox when it comes to social issues in gaming yes i say the easiest way to prevent problematic people from taking over game stores is requiring everyone to wear deodorant yeah that's a good that's a good place to start that cuts out a lot of the most difficult people yep and also you know throwing out anyone who's wearing literal nazi gear looking at you games workshop so yes monks are they problematic a little. Are they fun? A lot. Should Wizards of the Coast maybe look at what they can do to improve them? Well, obviously. They should look at what they can do to improve all the classes, all the time. <coughs> ranger. They did a lot of things to improve the Ranger in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, if you haven't checked that out. We'll talk about it when we get to Rangers, which will be... sometime in the future. Couple more episodes. Soonish. We're chewing through the alphabet, then we'll have to find some other kind of alphabet based game thing to go through. Well no, then we gotta loop back around and do artificers. Oh yeah, I forgot about Artificer. They're right at the beginning. Yep. But they're not published in the player's handbook, so we didn't consider them one of the base core classes. I'm gonna assume that we're just we're just holding back my favorite class for last. Okay, that's fair enough. Although we might have to do an episode on Bloodhunters. Bloodhunters. Is that Ranger? No, it's a core class. It's from the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount, the Critical Role. I haven't I haven't read that. You asked if they were Rangers. They should be. It should just be a Ranger subclass. I will die on this hill. This is my hot take, is that Bloodhunters should be a Ranger subclass... And that Matt Mercer should fight me. I'd I'd pay money to to watch you fight Matt Mercer, and then I'd be like, "OMG, do I have a first aid kit ready?" Yeah, I don't know if he beat me. I don't pay attention to him, and I don't watch Critical Roles, so I know very little about him. He seems like he's a fun guy, though, so I don't really want to fight him. Critical Role got me through a lot of really boring install jobs, and then. Whatever campaign I was listening to got delisted from my podcast platform, so I haven't been able to finish listening to it. But hey, if you're on a podcast platform and you're listening for and you're looking for something to listen to, why not Noel Country for Old Men? It's a podcast. Listen to it. Listen to it now. Listen to it in its entirety, and then wait for more. I mean, you are listening to it now, so I guess listen to more episodes. Yeah, that's the ticket. More episodes is more better. So on this podcast, we have a segment we like to call Board Game Corner. 
And today we're going to be talking about Cash and Guns. Pachoo! Cash and Guns is a fun little party game that I enjoy immensely. The gist of it is that the group of people playing are at the end of a heist movie. They've gotten the loot, they've gotten away, and now it's time to divvy up the spoils. And everyone is betraying everyone else to see who gets the most money. To do this, you place a pile of like loot types out in the table in a big row, and then everyone takes a foam gun. It's the most generic-looking foam pistol I've ever seen, with a bright orange tip so that no one can ever mistake it for anything other than fake. And you point it at someone else on the table. Everybody does this. You're in like a standoff situation. And then everyone kind of gets a chance to either duck out or like stand there and take it. At which point everyone reveals if they actually have a gun, actually have a bullet in the gun or if it's a blank. Anyone who gets shot doesn't get to take from the pile of loot. And the people who are left get to go around in a circle and, like, take the loot. This happens over a number of rounds. And at the end of the rounds, whoever has the most loot wins. And if anyone gets shot three times, they are dead and out of the game. It's clearly inspired by Reservoir Dogs, among other things. It's great fun. That actually reminds me a lot of another game that we have on our shelf i think it's called deadwood i can't remember but it's it's part of a set um of historical type games and you have a uh you have like two groups of people they're different bands of outlaws and you're trying to gather supplies to heist a bank and then you heist the bank and one team will have you know more cash and loot than the others and then at the end of it they all turn on each other so in addition to have a winning team you have one winning player from that team as well cool yeah so this this is very much about just acquiring the most loot that you can it has a variety of interesting loot types from just basic cash to diamonds and you get a bonus if you have the most diamonds at the end to paintings which are worth a set amount depending on how many paintings you collect it's gonna be hard to get all those out of the out of the place being looted. I mean, you gotta. I assume there was like a crate full of fine art or something. And one of my favorite features, as someone who took some art history classes and has a degree in an art-related field, the art is all recognizable actual paintings. Nice done in the art style of the guy who. Uh, did all the art who uh, he he used to do a comic about nerd stuff uh dork towers it sounds familiar it ran in like dungeon magazine or dragon magazine or one of those so it's a recognizable super nerdy art style and yeah so they're recognizable pieces of art done in this very silly kind of loose cartoon style I I love it. I always go for the art. We should uh, we should design our own game about art heists since all the billionaires when they buy this art they really just keep it all in warehouses since it's technically in transit and they don't pay taxes on it because it hasn't been shipped from where they bought it to where they quote 
keep it. So I imagine there's warehouses out out there just just filled with art. We could do a game about heisting one of those warehouses. Yeah, or we can do a game about NFT heists. Call it right click. <laughs> I like that idea too. That's a good one. So my recommendation is Cash and Guns is a fantastic party game. I bring it whenever there's a large group of people and I don't think we're going to be able to play something complicated. Um, it is much better with a large group. I think it contains eight or ten of the little plastic guns, uh, the little foam guns, so that with a large group of people, you can play it quite easily. With a small group of people, it, it doesn't work because there's not enough places to point guns at. But I love it. And if you can find it at a local game store, I would recommend getting a copy. All right, that is our show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, remember that you can punch people hard enough to bring them back to life if you're playing the right kind of monk. I mean, they're already dead. They're not. You're not going to hurt them any worse. Insult to injury? I guess injury to insult? No, that's a bard thing. Never mind. We'll talk about that later. No, we already talked about that. Yep, too late for that one. Too late to mock them viciously. Ed, any commercials you want to give out? You can follow my various art shenanigans on Instagram. It's uh, at A-N-A Madness. I've uh, been posting a lot of Marvel stuff there. Uh, that's really my only commercial. Uh, I'm going to say follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Null Country. On Instagram, we are just Null Country. We have a Reddit account, but we never post anything, so don't follow us on Reddit. If you want to play a fun game, Try and figure out who of us is posting which posts on Twitter, because we both have access to it. Oh yeah, that's always fun. Listen to more of the episodes? Yep, get caught up. Play more games? Play more games, more games all the time. <laughs>